How's it going, everyone? This is Brad Williams with Over 40 Fitness Hacks. I have my new season co-star with me here, uh, Tim Kelly. How's it going, Tim? Very well, thank you. Awesome. Thanks for joining us. You're welcome. So uh, this was something um, that was very significant to me. I started noticing, and I was very confused by what was happening. So I would do workouts, and you would get the pump after the workout. That's when your body's pumped up temporarily with blood. You know, and you always wish it would stay that way, but uh, <laughs> never does. When you, <laughs> you go to sleep, though, and in my case, I would wake up in the morning, and I would see not only had I lost the pump, but sometimes I lost even more than that, and I would get confused as to what was happening with my body. I mean, why, why would I actually be going backwards? And it took me many years before I understood this. And I, I learned a lot of new things in the course of doing my health research. But one of the more amazing things that I learned was the importance of pH. So the blood must maintain a pH of 7.4. The peripheral tissues vary. Um, obviously, your stomach is naturally very acidic, and it's always going to be. Mm -hmm. But your saliva and your urine indicate the pH levels of various tissues that are in your body. Now, if your saliva in your urine are giving you a strong message that you're very acidic, that is definitely a problem because what happens is your body knows that that pH is deviant and it wants to fix it. So there are a lot of different things that you can do to try and fix it, but eating fruits and vegetables is one way to do it. Drinking the right kind of water That's is what also I was important say. to do it. But you do not get out of that acidic range. One of the great hazards, again, this was complete news to me, is that your muscles will slump to ammonia. So basically your muscles start turning into ammonia. And the reason why is because ammonia is alkalizing. So if you're too acidic, the ammonia starts balancing your pH. Unfortunately for you, your muscles are going down the drain. Mm -hmm. So it is very important if you want to hold on to your muscle mass to test your saliva, I recommend when you first wake up before you've had anything. There are a lot of different times of day that you can check pH, but I do recommend just before sleep because you're not getting any interference from anything else in your body. There's also something during the day called an alkaline tide. It's a, it's a natural thing that can happen after a meal, and that might confuse you if you're trying to get accurate measurements off your pH. And you can just get this pH paper. There's yeah. uh, pH strips, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you can just use that to test your pH and you can actually use flower petals to do that. Um, it's another little natural trick that I, I learned um, if you didn't have pH paper, but it's just very important to maintain that pH. And then with flow, um, there's different ways to measure the flow of a lot of different things. Um, and we can get into that too, although that's uh, a little bit more involved, but you can tell me if you want to explore that now or later. Yeah. Um... Uh, staying on pH for a little bit longer. I know okay. um, stuff I've read before is, you know, just something like cancer cells, like right. what, from what I've read, like thrive in an acidic, you know, environment. So for someone who goes down that path, who's not watching it, that, that could be a problem. Did you find that in your research as well? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so um, generally speaking, cancer is an acidic condition. And one of the guys who heard that was like, oh, Okay, so if it's just acid, then I guess I can just alkalize my system the easy way. So he, he thought to himself, I'm just going to break out some baking soda. And he started drinking baking soda, which I actually do not recommend, but I understand why he did it. Um, and his cancer went away. 
just by alkalizing his system. Yeah. So yeah, you can definitely do that. But something else that would definitely be relevant to people who exercise is to understand one of the key facets of how your pH changes. So when you mentioned cancer, one of the things that I've seen consistently with cancer is that when the people go to the hospital and they get their blood checked, their blood is very dark. It'll mm -hmm. be black. It'll be dark, dark red. Now, what is that telling you? It's basically telling you that your blood is lacking oxygen. Mm -hmm. When you have a lot of oxygen in your, in your blood, it's very bright red. So one of the things that happens when you exercise regularly, and this is one of the, the great benefits of it, is it increases the oxygenation in your system and it also alkalizes you. And one of the reasons why it alkalizes you is when you get too sedentary, you're accumulating a lot of carbon dioxide. And the carbon dioxide is a lot of times what is acidifying you. So mm -hmm. that when you exercise and work out, you get those deep breaths going deep into your lungs, you're oxygenating your system and you're promoting alkalinity. It's not the only thing, but it's one of the benefits of exercise. Okay. And then uh, what do you uh, recommend without giving away too much stuff from your book um, on, on fixing your pH? You mentioned your buddy's little trick uh, with, uh, what was that, baking soda? Right. I, and I, again, I don't recommend that. There's a, yeah. there's a, <laughs> I would there's rather a, do it with normal water. <laughs> right. Well, that's, again, that's something we can talk about for a second right there. When you're, go, you're growing up and you're going through the educational system, they'll show you a pH chart and they'll show you water right in yeah. the middle with a pH of seven. That is false. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm not sure if you knew that, but, and that was something I was kind of shocked to discover. Natural water is just H2O. So if you really want to test the pH of water, you need to get distilled water because yeah. that's pure water. And when you test its pH, you're not going to get 7.0. You're going to get something in the fives. It's yeah. so low. It's mostly an acid. The reason why most people will stick the water there is because normal water, the water we find in nature, like the water that would be running through a fresh river, yeah, has that will, yes, that's right. And it's the minerals that are the key to creating the alkalizing phenomenon. Primarily, it's sodium, potassium, magnesium, and carbon that are going to be the alkalizing minerals. So if you can get high quality water, and that's definitely a discussion in and of itself, because there's a lot of people marketing alkaline waters and if you actually test them they don't test accurately yeah Mount, well, the, Mount, the, pro the problem i see or i've seen before is the fact that it even gets bottled the fact that it's in a plastic bottle and as soon as it hits sunlight it's acidic within days so it doesn't matter if you buy alkaline water or not especially if you've had a uh, you know bottled water stored for you know a rainy day or or whatever the longer it holds it just becomes more and more acidic it's you know it's I don't want to say it's better drinking city water, but it has a better pH, but it has a whole chock full of other problems. But uh, what, what, what are your thoughts on that? Or where would you get your water? Uh, so some waters are better than others. Mm -hmm. um, I, again, was just testing water like crazy when I was at that stage of my research. And for me, uh, Mountain Valley spring water really is the only one that I found that was completely honest. They would say what the pH was on the bottle, and then I would take it out and I would test it and it was accurate. So, and would it hold that pH in that bottle for an extended time? Apparently it does. Wow. Okay. So, I mean, they sell a lot of their stuff in glass bottles. They flirted with plastic briefly. And just so you know, there's some plastics that are better than others. Some yeah. are apparently recyclable. Some have uh, less toxins associated with them than others. 
but Mountain Valley tends to put theirs into glass bottles, and that does seem to work for them. Um, something else I'll mention too, just because it's sort of a spectacular thing to talk about anyway, mm-hmm. is uh, the idea of rock dust. Uh, the, the book that I was mentioning, Suppressed Inventions and Other Discoveries, it has uh, a section in there about something that is just astounding. You know, and it, humanity could have gone down a completely different road in history if this information had become widespread. So just to tell this story, and this is an experiment that people can do with pets, and mm-hmm. you can do it with yourself if, if you want to. But this goes back to the late 1800s. And during that time, there were two great geniuses who were in a rivalry. One was Julius Hensel, and the other was Justice von Liebig. So both of them were looking at the ideal way to grow plants, grow crops. So Liebig got all the press and the fame and the money, and he touted the methods that we're still using stupidly to this day. And these are known as NPK. It just stands for the three minerals, nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. So typically when we grow foods in our system, we'll put in nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. We'll use industrial those are the industrial fertilizers. Then we'll add in herbicides, pesticides, and manure. Okay. Just spread feces all over our food supply. And then we'll use municipal water. And there's a whole other, whole whole bunch of other things I could mention that would probably gross you out if I mentioned them that go into the food supply. And this is what we've been raised on. Now, if you go back to that time period, I call it the forgotten moment from 1890 to 1915, You can see there were a whole bunch of crop failures. People obviously didn't know how to grow food correctly. And guess what? When they started doing all of this stuff with the herbicides and the pesticides and the industrial fertilizers, cancer began to skyrocket. And it just started rising and rising, and it just kept going. Now, what could we have done that was totally different? This is an experiment anyone can do for themselves. We could have done it the Hensel way, which is the right way. This is with rock dust. So how, how would you work with rock dust? You take a rock, place it on another bigger, harder rock, cover it with a tarp or something like that, and then take out a sledgehammer, pound it until it's dust. Dust, yeah. You, you put the powder, you put the tarp or garbage bag or whatever you want to put over the top of it to protect yourself from any flying chips that come up. So then once you've created the rock dust, put that into the soil and watch what happens. Now you can do these experiments so easily. If you have a packet of seeds, take half the packet, raise it one way, and then the other half of the packet, put rock dust in that soil and watch what happens. The results are drastic. They wow. are dramatic. I mean, the first time I heard about this, I told my friend about this. This was, happened to be the same one who's uh, almost died. And so he was pretty eager to do all kinds of different experiments. So uh, he said, you got to come over and see the zucchini. And I said, okay, what's going on with the zucchini? He said, no, you have to see it. So I came <laughs> over. It. Yeah. And it really was. I mean, we there was he did the the very experiment I just described. So the first zucchini were like very very small. The other ones were truly giant. And uh, I looked over and I saw a, a potted plant. And I said, "What happened to the planter? Did a car back into that or what?" Because there was this giant rent and crack in the side of it. He looked at me and he said, "No, the rock dust just grew the plant so intensely it cracked the potter." Wow. And I was like, "Wow." Uh, so. What Hensel showed in his experiments, uh, and this is this can probably only be done if you're using the right kind of water, but if you had two plants that were growing right next to each other, you could actually take the rock dust plant and twine its stem around the normally grown plant. And if you got down and looked closely at it, 
you would see that pests only attacked the normal grown plant. Pests will leave a rock dust plant alone. Wow. So it's, and if anyone does that experiment, I encourage them to do that and, you know, maybe write me at my website and label the email, my rock dust experiment. So I can stockpile <laughs> everyone who's doing that. Now, can you uh, buy this rock dust from Amazon or do we have to actually do it ourselves? There may be some people out there um, so, who sell it. I, yeah. I have seen people sell it, but the cheapest way to do it is, is to do it yourself. I actually have an invention I'd like to get developed at some point when I have more resources that'll make this very easy because this is a little tough on the shoulders. Yeah. Uh, but, so who, yeah. who across the U.S. has even has anyone done this method for mass farming or anything? Or that's the problem. I don't, no, so far no. as I know, no one no one has done it. And it's it's crazy because if you look around the planet, you know, you remember not that all of Africa was really as bad as it was described. But still, you think about areas of the world where there's supposed mass starvation and stuff like that. And people were thinking, how could we possibly grow food? And they're surrounded by rock. And so. <laughs> Endless. People like me look at that and just go, whoa, I mean, here's the solution to your problem. And when you think about that, when you see how well that rock dust plant grows, I want you to think, hey, that could be me. Because mm -hmm. if you eat, consume that food, you're consuming mineralized food. By the way, uh, people ask which rock is best. Granite is the best one. And the reason why it's because of its trace mineral profile. And that's the key to all of this is that when you get the trace minerals, not just the major minerals, into a plant and into you, then you get more benefits from that. And we'll go into more detail about some of the other minerals as we go on. But I just really wanted to mention that because I thought it was super important. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Um, any Anything else on pH uh, before moving to flow? Any more comments? Um, just this. Um, the reason why the 7.4 pH is so important is because of the human experience. So let me just explain what I mean by that. Mm -hmm. So when you're a human being, people talk so much about genetics and just say, oh, you know, your genes are determining everything that's going on in your body. Well, really not so much. Uh, your genes are just a blueprint. The building doesn't get built until there are supplies. Okay. You need to have the building materials to build the building. The blueprint is just that. It's a blueprint. Okay, so what is one of the most important things that is coded for in all genes? By the way, and before I even mention that, your hormones are not in your genetic code. Did mm -hmm. you know that? Mm -hmm. Only the enzymes that code and, and assist your hormones are in the code. So you're not going to have any hormones in, at all unless you consume things like fat. There's, there's no fat in the code. The, the body just assumes you're going to consume fat and then it will construct hormones once it gets the right building blocks. But to get back to the, the previous point, the most important thing that is coded for in your genes is your enzymes. Mm -hmm. Now, enzymes are what a chemist would call a catalyst. So when you have an experiment set up where you're reacting chemicals and you want to get a product, you can stick a catalyst in there to assist you. And the catalyst is going to speed up the reaction time. It could go a hundred times faster. It could go a thousand times faster. These are what your enzymes are doing inside your body. They are the catalysts for your metabolism and for building up your muscles and everything else. Now, why is this important in relation to pH? Well, this is one of the key findings that people have revealed when they've done a lot of experiments on pH. 
it turns out that a lot of enzymes have a sweet spot in pH very close to 7.4. So what happens? If you get too acidic, if you get too alkaline, your enzymes will not function as efficiently. So that's your entire body. Imagine mm -hmm. tons, hundreds of enzymes becoming deactivated and no longer serving you when you get outside of that sweet spot pH of let's say about 7.2 to 7.4. So that is another thing that I think is really important for people to focus on. Yeah. And, and that's, that's a sweet spot for your body to be at, but in reference to the mountain spring water, which was, what was that? Five point something? No, uh, the mountain Valley spring water. If you were asking about the one that I recommended, yeah, they test on the bottle. I think they say they're 7.4 to 7.7. Oh, so it's in the sweet spot already. Yep. But and, for, and, some, for, for some people, if it's a little bit lower on the pH and you're already too acidic, it could pull you right into that zone too, right? Uh, it's possible, but you this know, it's better to it, the get, pH, get it right. The pH is the sum total of hmm. every single thing that happens in the course of a day. So, you know, there are a great many details to know. So, I mean, you can get away with consuming something that's pretty acidic if you're balancing it. Uh, yeah. Again, uh, Tunsky's book goes into great detail on that, but one of his generalizations is the following. For the best results, intake 80% alkalizing to 20% acidifying food. Mm -hmm. And keep in mind what I just said was not adjectives, it was verbs. And the reason why I say that that way is because of the following. So let's take lemon juice for exa an example. So if someone were to ask, okay, that's lemon juice, it's got to be acidic, right? Yes, mm -hmm. it's definitely acidic. But is it acidifying? No, it's actually alkalizing for, for whatever reason. Um, so when Dr. Jarvis talked about that, about this concept in his uh, bestseller called folk medicine, he talked about in reaction to the body. So it's not necessarily whether it's acidic or alkaline to begin with, but how your body reacts once it's inside. So lemon, again, very acidic, but it will alkalize you. And it's actually alkalizing you at the very high end of the scale. It'll take you up to about a 10. Wow. So if you can, again, maintain 80% alkalizing to 20% acidifying food, and generally speaking, it, it, this is relatively simple. It's not necessarily something that a lot of people are going to get into. But yeah. most, for the most part, we're talking about fruits and vegetables. If you yeah. just get a good quantity of those in, in the course of the day, along with other stuff that you consume, and then do your waking saliva pH test, and that'll let you know if you're going the right way or if you're going the wrong way. And then if you want to do something fun and say, oh, you know, maybe I shouldn't be eating this, you can check yourself against your pH. And if your pH is saying, hey, that's okay, you know, you can do a little bit of whatever, then do a little bit of whatever. But just keep in mind that the goal is try to work through, have a time period of maybe a week where you're conscious of what you're eating and you're checking it against your pH. And then once you feel comfortable and settled and you have a good groove, then stick with it. Yeah. Well, that sounds like a great experiment everyone can try. Very simple. Just go order some pH strips and try it out for 30, 60 days and see how you feel and see where you even come up on the scale. I'm pretty sure the last time I tried one, I was real close to seven. So. Okay, good. But just, you know, you, that can switch like a, you know, like a light switch. You got sure to keep on it. Well, cool. Uh
Tim, how, how do my listeners get a hold of you? How do they get a hold of your book? Uh, do you have any social media website? I do have a website. It's uh, Polytope Press. That's P-O-L-Y-T-O-P-E. And if you go to DuckDuckGo, the search engine, and you type Polytope Press in the search box, the website will be the first one that comes up. Uh, it has an unusual address, uh, so it might just be easier to just follow those instructions to get there. And you can look up the books, Natural Healing Self-Empowerment or OptiFlex, and that should help guide you to the website as well. And I'd love to hear from people because I always like to get feedback from experiences that people are having if they're pursuing these ideas. Awesome. And uh, everyone knows I always uh, throw in all the details in the written form as links for uh, the podcast on Spotify or Apple. So you can just click on the links and go to from there. Um, but uh, Tim, I thank you for your time and thank you for being on the show. And I'm sure we'll get you on for a few more episodes as well. I look forward to it. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Thank you.